0: All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith Podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson. And unfortunately, not with me today is our other host, Marty. But Marty is doing something rather important. He's having a job interview as we speak. So I don't know when this is going to be released, but hopefully that job interview went well for him.
1: (laughs) And if it didn't, all of your listeners are going to be like, oh, poor Marty. Put his heart and soul into that interview and didn't, didn't have anything new to announce
0: right it'd be such a bummer so sorry marty yeah so hopefully that's not the case but yeah with us today though is uh uh we do have a guest as, as you've just heard and his name is kevin is it makins or Mackins?
1: it's makins and sorry makins. for jumping in too soon there before your big announcement that i was here nah you're good
0: <laughs> it's all good so kevin makins is with us today and uh, excited to hang out thanks for taking some time to, to hang out this morning
1: Yeah. Good morning. Thanks for having me here or good. Whatever time people are listening to this. Right. (laughs) We showed up just for your
0: ears. That's true. We did. It's magical. So uh, before we jump in though, Kevin, there's a question that we ask all of our guests that come on the show and it's a super important question. It means a lot to both Marty and I, and we definitely will judge your character based off how you answer this question.
1: Perfect. Let's go.
0: All right. Who is your favorite hockey team? (laughs) you see
1: you would think that having a canadian on i would have many opinions about this because our country is obsessed with hockey uh the truth is i only know two hockey teams really essentially and they're both the canadian ones i think there's one called the jets and is there one that's a bunch of sharks i -hmm. don't know this is the problem (laughs) there's a bunch of sharks they're fighting a bunch i'm pretty sure they've got to retire at least one or two of those names in the upcoming year or two Um, I think there's some names that are maybe not as appropriate in hockey. I don't know. There's a lot of controversy. (laughs) But I know people talk about the Leafs and the Habs. I think the Habs is code for Montreal. It is, yeah. The Montreal Canadiens, yeah. Yeah, so you know how Montreal Canadiens and Habs sound so similar? Right. This is what outside (laughs) perspectives on hockey look like. I'm like, why would you not just call them the Cans or the Mons? Right. But the Habs. I'm sure there's a reason, and I don't care, but <laughs> I guess I'd have to go with the mape, with the Mapes. All right, there I you go. Them. I call them the, mapes. <laughs> the uh, mapes And I'll only say that because they are uh, down the street from my house. So if oh, I was going to It's like when I got really into the NBA once Toronto made it past the first round of playoffs, then I'm all in, just because I'm competitive and I like, I like when groups are excited or angry together. So I was like all into the NBA last year for just the final months of Toronto winning. And then as soon as they won, I stopped thinking about it forever. So <laughs> if, same thing, if Toronto got into the playoffs and, and made it pass around, I'd be like, let's go, but nice. I won't pay attention to them until they do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily for you, the, the NHL is actually, Toronto is one of the host cities for the NHL playoffs this year, because they're doing this weird, you know, because of COVID thing, no fans like teams have to stay isolated with each other all this stuff toronto's right. one of the host cities and the leafs are in the playoffs so oh this is my chance to care yeah now it's your chance to care and the leafs have a good young team
1: uh, that's it's, what i'm always saying
0: yeah no, I'm, i never say that i have no <laughs> idea what they, their team could be ancient of days for all i know and i'd be like yeah.
1: oh, real young whippersnappers <laughs>
0: They have, Yeah, they definitely have some talent. It makes me like reconsider my life. Like, dang, these 19 year old kids are making 3.5 million a year playing ice hockey. And, you know, I'm you need a t-shirt that and... says
1: that and then says, and all I got was this crummy podcast.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right, man. Well, again, Kevin. So, oh, real quick. My favorite team, just so, so, you know, is the Washington right. Capitals. A yeah. team that I totally knew existed before you said it out loud. Right, exactly. I knew you know all about them, but yeah, we're we're big hockey fans. Uh, I play ice hockey. Um, nice. Don't let my my small stature fool you. Uh, no, you look very large actually, on the screen. Very <laughs> right tough. Sweet, I love it. Well, that's the good thing about podcasts is no one has to see what I look like. They can just right. know, picture me as like this, you know, brooding, muscular, violent hockey player. Right, he truly the Jesus. Wayne Gretzky of podcasting. Absolutely, that's right, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> so Kevin, just for uh, people who maybe have not encountered your work before, uh, can you just fill us in a little bit, like, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Maybe give us a little bit of your faith upbringing. Yep,
1: so I am uh, a, a human. I don't know how anthrop- <laughs> how, how far out <laughs> do we start. Uh, my name's Kevin. I am a human in Hamilton, Ontario, up in Canada. We're a steel town, about 45 minutes away from Toronto. Born and raised in the city, but uh, born and raised in the, in the kind of suburbs of the city. Moved uh, 13 years ago downtown into this very quirky ex-steel town, super impoverished, but also kind of hip, um, complicated place called downtown Hamilton. I've lived here for about 13 years with my wife, Meg. Uh, We've got two kids, Oscar and Clementine. They are the best. They're four and almost one. Uh, And then we live with some housemates as well. And then 10 years ago, uh, this fall, it'll be 10 years ago, a group of us started a church in downtown Hamilton called Eucharist Church, which I uh, get the honor of being one of the pastors of, along with my co-pastor, Jill, who's also super dope, um, who's also super dope like me, Uh, (laughs) things you're not supposed to say out loud. Um, and yeah we try to bear witness to the life of jesus in our city we try to form communities of grace and forgiveness uh, and attentiveness to neighborhood um we try and we fail a lot which led to a lot of funny stories over a number of years and uh i started telling those stories in different ways i've done one man show called holy shift that uh we did a couple of years back that's released on my youtube channel i make youtube videos i Get to do all sorts of local neighborhood work, and then uh, a couple of years ago started realizing we had too many stories from just almost a decade of being a church who said story after story after story, sort of writing them down and trying to figure out what could these do together, how could they fit, and that formed the basis of my book, which just released last month, called "Why Would Anyone Go to Church, uh, which is a young community 's quest to reclaim church for good hmm. and that book is kind of how we connected. We have released this book with stories of us starting a congregation, some insights into what the church has looked like, what it might look like, and just a lot of jokes and little theological reflections and uh, trying to help people's imagination expand a bit when it comes to thinking about what the church can look like. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to help us dream and long for new kinds of church expressions, or if not new, at least um, reimagined or reclaimed expressions of church. Um, I really do find myself compelled by church and not by like the big institutions, not by the big conferences that you Americans have where they throw like (laughs) soccer balls into the audience and everybody kicks each other in the face or whatever they do. But like, I'm talking about just like normal, mediocre coffee every third Sunday is not very impressive church. Like that's my stuff. I live for that ordinary potluck community life. Um, And so this book is my... Sort of my ode to the local weird tiny church, and hopefully helping other people either work through maybe baggage they have around the church, uh, or help them love the church that they're a part of, or help them just understand what the church is a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. You know what what the book does is not my fundamental aim, but but just telling the right stories was kind of the, the hope for it all.
0: Sweet man, yeah, I yeah, love <laughs> that's a bit of us. It's that's awesome. One of the. One of the quotes uh, that I remember and I like so much is you talked about uh, how like you're of the opinion that sometimes church should just kind of suck. <laughs> it should. It should just be bad. Like the yeah. sermon should be meandering and the music should be
1: off key and the coffee should be extra mediocre. Right. And the pr- even the prayers should be kind of unimpressive. Like it should feel every <laughs> couple of weeks like even the spirit missed the Eucharist, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. And And the reason for that, I don't say that just, you know, kind of glibly. The reason is because what a better reminder that church is not a show. Right. You know, I consume information. I consume entertainment. I'm on YouTube and podcasts and I'm watching Netflix, but church should be different. You know, when I go to my family dinner, I'm not like, hey, this was a kind of unimpressive family dinner, mom. You know, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not like dad, the burgers were a little dry this week. Like you understand that family is different. Mm-hmm. And so every now and then, if, if church is too good for too long, we're going to start wondering what we're doing here. We might even start thinking that the point of this thing is to be entertained or to get something. Um, but if the point is to be faithful and formed in community with other real people, then every now and then it being terribly unimpressive is a great reminder of what we're actually doing here.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's, sure. my,
1: that's my encouragement. Uh, to any other communities that occasionally have a Sunday that just feels like, yeah, even the, even the spirit didn't get the memo, but <laughs> she did. The spirit did get the memo. Just knew that we needed to work in a different kind of way.
0: Yeah, I love it, dude. It was. It came. In, that quote came in super handy too because. So I had the the privilege of preaching uh, yesterday Sunday, um, nice for the first time at this this church that I've been at for about a year now. And uh, I posted that quote like two days before I preached, you know, just to let people know that sometimes just, church needs to suck, you know, just setting the expectation. <laughs> right. Doing exactly. Your part. Exactly. And so, yeah, but, uh, and one other thing that I thought was super interesting, because um, a lot of people ask the question, uh, why are people walking away from the church? But you're yeah. like, you were like in your book, you're like, well, actually, I think a better question is why are people staying?
1: Yeah. Like anyone who's like, why are people leaving the church? Clearly doesn't go to interesting events. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's such a knock. I'm joking. And also if anyone's offended at any point in this podcast, it's just, I'm joking. I'm just telling jokes sometimes. So so don't, don't be, or I mean, you can be, you're allowed to be offended, but forgive me, or, you know, hear it through that lens. But I, I do kind of feel that like if you think church is like the most awesome and impressive thing, go to a concert. Right? Or go see a stand-up comedian that like a good one and watch her just rip it for an hour and a half and then tell me that you're like impressed by your pastor's sermon. And I'm a pastor and I preach sermons, but it's not impressive, you know, like there's nothing that we do as a church that you can't find better somewhere else. You've got every podcast, every TED talk in your pocket all the time. You could listen to your favorite worship album every day. Um, You could go to concerts, you can go to comedy clubs, you can go to TED Talks, you can go to community events, you can go to yoga and just stretch for an hour. Hmm. You know, there's so many things that you can just pay money and attend. But church then is something entirely different. It's non-economic, it's participatory, it's made up of people you didn't choose to be near. It's, it's, It's a completely unique space. But if anyone's wondering like, why are people leaving it? It's because it is so unique and so weird and so otherworldly that of course it doesn't hang with all of these huge behemoths of, of you know, economic industries. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised then if people are leaving the church. The question we should be asking is why are people staying? Mm-hmm. And why historically for 2000 years have people found the church to be so meaningful and so relevant um, that she's continued to flourish and evolve over 2000 years, especially as we come out of COVID, as we come out of lockdown. Those are questions that not just when I say we, I don't mean clergy. I mean, every person who's a follower of Jesus needs to be asking, what is the church? And how can she still matter on the other side of COVID, especially when there's so many other options?
0: Mm. Yeah, dude, I think that's so good. And, and I love the question. I mean, even the title of the book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? It's a Reading your book for me personally was very helpful because I have such cognitive dissonance about the fact that I work in a church. Um, I had two really, really bad experiences to say the least, back to back in churches. I was so desperate to leave one because of things like emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, verbal abuse, um, you know, lying to church, like insane stuff. I was so desperate. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that does not sound good.
0: yeah, we've we've yeah, discussed that on the show before, but left there, and yeah. I was so desperate that I took a job at a different church that I would not have regularly said, Oh yes, this is the church I want to go. I just needed something right. else. And then that had its own challenges. And I'm pretty sure like, if I didn't land at the place I'm at today, I would not work in the church anymore. there's mm. there's zero way. Where I've been has been so helpful. Um, and your book was super helpful, too. it It challenged me and pushed me in some some helpful ways. Um but since that's been a part of my experience and I know a part of many people's experience what um do you see if we're honest what do you see are some of like the major failures of the church today
1: <laughs> I mean how um, how grand scale do you want to go um I mean you can go really really small you can go really really large sure. so at the smallest levels no at sort of the largest levels at the largest levels the church was tied to I don't know my American history as well, so I'll go with Canada. Um, The church was tied to the erasing of indigenous people's cultures. Um, The church was a partner with the government in residential schools, which taught um, indigenous children, took them away from their parents to teach them how to be civil people. Uh, And by civil people, they meant white people. (laughs) uh, and They they meant white Christian. So the Anglican church has um, deeply apologize for that work to to the credit of the Anglican Church but you know the church has been tied to power systems since Constantine the church has been behind war the church has been behind um, erasing of cultures the church has been behind abuse Um, and this is not to particularly pick on the church because at the same time the church has been the founder of hospitals the church has been the founder of caring for the most vulnerable in society uh, there's a, an old poem called the, the God Between Two Thieves that people can Google later. Um, but it, it captures that tension that the church has always been both the best and the worst of humanity. To be a part of the church is to be tied to the saints of the highest caliber and also be to be tied to the worst of all sinners. But sometimes the church and people that work for the church have a bit of a vested interest in ignoring that being tied to the worst sinners part or um, kind of can turn a blind eye to the the real atrocities that the church is being tied to by being so in bed with power structures. But we can't do that, right? We can't, there's no way Jesus would want us to be ignorant to sins committed in his name. So at the Mm -hmm. grandest scale, Mm -hmm. there's that. I mean, but at the smallest scale, you don't need to go there to say anyone who's been a part of a church has likely had a negative experience. Mm -hmm. Even if they've had more positive than negative, Sure. Um, you know, you, you're going to experience little judgments. You're going to experience a woman who tells you to take your hat off at church. Um, many women have been taught that they can't preach or teach or lead Bible studies or wear pants in church, <laughs> depending on your experience. But at some level, you've probably bumped up against something. Uh, you know, LGBTQ people are queer brothers and sisters who, and siblings who have just been told that they don't fit, that they're not welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're welcome, but only if they sit back really politely, that they're welcome as long as they don't hold hands. <laughs> um, you know, and, and your theology and sexual ethics, I mean, that's complicated stuff we can go into later, but it would be wild to not acknowledge the harm and potentially you could say abuse caused, mm-hmm. especially by mm-hmm. things like reparative therapy. Uh, we have seen the church be dismissive to other religions, be dismissive to other races. And then just at the smallest level of the best, just church of saints trying their best someone is still going to get snappy at a budget meeting Mm -hmm, and somebody's mm -hmm. still going to drop off that volunteer team and leave someone else with a bunch of extra work to do. And somebody is always going to be judging the theology of somebody else or judging the the actions of somebody else. So, you know, you can go as grand as you want or as small as you want. The church has done harm. Yeah, for sure. Um, But something, something I say in my book is not to dismiss that harm, but to say, Uh, That in the vast majority of these cases, though, what we're dealing with isn't people that are particularly malicious. These aren't evil people trying to do harm. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're pretty good people trying their best, but they're just dumb sometimes. (laughs) And there's a comfort there because I'm dumb sometimes. Yeah, same. And so, you know, often what we're dealing with is just people. You know, you put families in close quarters, you get this kind of tension. You, you're on a hockey team. I'm sure you've faced this kind of tension. When you bring people from different worlds together to do something that is a, a common direction, you always get conflict. So conflict isn't bad, mm-hmm. um, but it needs to be named. And often the church has seen conflict as something to be avoided, as seen negative, uh, negative ideas of the church or negative images of, of faith or church as, as something to be shoved away. But the minute you expose it into the light, it becomes light. It -hmm. it becomes actually part of the strength of the church is that we hurt each other, Mm -hmm. and then we have to learn to forgive each other. That's (laughs) a good thing. Um, It becomes a strength of the Anglican church to confess how deeply they were tied to colonial power, and now to confess that and to begin the long process of truth and reconciliation. So, So it's not a bad thing to have bad history. It's a bad thing to ignore it. And we all know this from mm. our private lives as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't ignore it. You have to confess it and name it. And then you can step into the process of justice and truth and reconciliation.
0: Yeah. Wow. Sure. That was a rant. I am sorry. That's good. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It just, I mean, I agree with everything you said and just to like, oh, perfect. The, great. yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah. As so long that- as you agree. Right, right. And the 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 power structure thing is so interesting because I think we see that playing out in the, the U.S. today. I mean, the uh, percentage of white evangelical Christians that are in bed with the U.S. government right now is alarming, to say the least. <clears throat> um, but even too, in my past experience, just the one of the things that I hate as well is, I don't know how it is in Canada, but at least here in the States, church has become just a commodity. Like mm-hmm. it's just this thing that we do and like like you say i mean you talk about in your book it's just like this thing that people go to and we try to sell them and advertise to them and um the first church i worked in was very much that it felt like i worked for a business not a church like literally people didn't matter to them unless you had money then you mattered like right right crazy stuff but uh on the, the flip side of that, though, what do you think some of the what are some of the things that you think the church gets right today?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I could give you a laundry list. And again, I'm, <laughs> I try to speak out of as much I can, as much as I can in my own context. So right. Yeah, for sure. Maybe things maybe things I'm hitting or missing in the American context. <clears throat> and it is quite different here. We don't have uh, quite the same level of kind of commodi- commodification. which Which is is part of what helped me name (laughs) some of that stuff in my book was realizing that the church is so unimpressive, especially up here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the strengths, I mean, where, where do you begin? These people could be doing anything. Mm -hmm. These people could be watching Netflix. They could be, they could be doing, they, they could be out at a bar. They could be out for brunch. You know, they could be doing anything and they choose to come to a place where they don't know the other people, or at least not all of them, where they are building relationships with people different than them. The church is one of the only places that is intergenerational. I mean, how do you think all these super famous musicians learned guitar? <clears throat> you know, <laughs> you, you talk to famous musicians and many of them say, I learned to play music in the church. As the church is the only place where you get that intergenerational friendship and there's instruments lying around. And then one of them says, hey, I'll just mentor you in the drums. And then you can play in the youth band. Oh, and 150 people are here on a Sunday and you're not very good yet? Eh, That's okay. Give it a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. Because we love you. Not because you're good, but because we love you. Where else do you get that? Where else do you get people giving their money? Like, I think the actual average giving of of kind of quote unquote secular people is like 2%. And the church is like more like 8% or something, which, you know, is uh, not quite the tithe numbers and not doesn't mean that everyone's the most generous person in the world and certainly lots of people give only to the church and there's there's some questions you could ask there but my goodness they give their money away in cultures that worship money they give it away and they don't get to control what it does always in the budget and they give money to outreach they're actually I I believe the stats say that Christians are more generous to causes that are not their church because they've learned to be generous Mm-hmm. So you got people giving away money, people volunteering to work with teenagers. Have you seen teenagers? They're disgusting. <laughs> people volunteer. They don't even get paid. They volunteer to help these kids. They work day jobs that they maybe they don't love their day job, but then their church gives them a place of mission and a place of purpose. They get. We get to have old people holding babies. You know, where else do senior citizens get to hold babies on the regular? What Mm -hmm. a gorgeous thing. And this is all pre-COVID, but we've got to remember it so that when we reshape the church on the other side, we remember what we loved about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have potlucks. We get to eat. Everyone brings different food. You get different people. How about this? On a Sunday, even just on a Sunday, church is way more than Sunday, but on a Sunday, you've got songs and sermons and all this stuff. And everyone engaging with it is from a different socioeconomic bracket, different (laughs) age, different ethnic groups. Um, different cultural identity, different levels of education, you can have uh, a a person of extreme poverty and a person of extreme wealth listening to the same sermon and they're going to be encountering each other in that process as they discuss in the community. You might have somebody who's super smart and someone who's super simple And they're hearing the same sermon and simultaneously engaging with it at two different levels and then refeeding that into a local community of people and bringing balance and harmony to that community just through their observations of it people hosting small groups i went to a climbing gym for two years and no one ever invited me over to their small group (laughs) these are weird things entering into strangers' homes, hospitality, welcoming refugees, keeping faith when it is almost impossible to believe in God in such a thoroughly disenchanted world. I mean, all of this stuff to me, th- these are ordinary heroes. You know, uh-huh. everyone in mm-hmm. church is, is a very ordinary saint. And so, you know, that all of that stuff blows my mind. Nothing about church that impresses me is because they've got a really killer worship band and a smoke <laughs> machine. right? Um, you know, I, I don't really sure if that's your thing, go for it, but that better not be the fruit of what your church is about. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that's a tool you have, then maybe there's space for it, but the really beautiful stuff about church are the conversations that happen, you know, in between that awesome rock band. Mm-hmm. And so there's so mm-hmm. much I love about church, but there's just a, a handful of things, a smattering of things that I love about the church.
0: Yeah, no, I dig it, man. I, and it seems, like everything you just described is all about the importance of relationship and a relational community mm-hmm. on mission together, which I think that's the heart and core of what church should be, um, but often fails to be. And so yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, get-
1: and there's there's all sorts of reasons, and I mean, and I might be missing something, you know. This sure. is this is what our church has uh, leaned into: relationship with each other, relationship with God. I'm sure there are other elements of the church that my Catholic siblings could point me to, but uh, <laughs> right. But I, you know, I will say that that it does seem to me that relationships are the web of the church and the web of God's family Um, and that the kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationships.
0: Yeah. Oh, Uh, for sure.
1: A friend of mine. And so, yeah, whatever it is that we're experiencing it, if it's not tied to relationships, I do wonder if it's the church.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I dig it, man. And I think part of that um, relational aspect, uh, I think you can't have at least genuine relationship without having both. Um, authenticity and vulnerability. And yeah. you talked about both of those things um, a good bit in your book. So, like, what what role do you see authenticity and vulnerab- vulnerability playing uh, in our churches?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I, I do say that in the book. And I, even before I say that, I say, I know these are buzzwords of the highest right. order. Right. You know, <laughs> but just because something's become a buzzword doesn't mean it's untrue. Um, what it might mean is that a lot of people use that word without actually living out the idea of authenticity or vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way to do that. And so um, I think without vulnerability and authenticity, all we have are polite people being religious and pretending that they're better than they are. Right, right. right. Being like, I'm a good person, I go to church on Sunday. You know, there's there's kind of that guardedness and that wall. our beliefs can often be a way of shielding us from vulnerability.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it can
1: become a, an armor that we put on. I don't have to be vulnerable because Christ is being vulnerable for me or something like that. <laughs> um, but I will say that as a pastor of a mostly younger church, you know, we're, we're mostly under the age of 35. We are increasingly aging and balancing that out, but still lots of people in their twenties. We are a generation that was raised on marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like
1: we, we were the, the generation that received the internet. You know, I'm not sure how old you are, but likely you had the internet at a young age. Yeah, I'm 26. Um, yeah, so yeah, there probably wasn't a, a really even a time where you can remember not having the internet, not having advertising flying in your face every day, telling you to buy this and you'd be happy or get this product and you'd be satisfied. Or, you know, if you could just meet this kind of person or, you know, whatever they're hawking. And this means that, that, People of, of uh, the younger generation have an incredibly well-tuned BS detector.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure.
1: And, and so do many people even of generations um, older than, than myself. But, but we can smell when you're selling us something, even mm-hmm. if that something is Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if
1: you're selling me Jesus as a product, it's like the difference between falling in love and, and downloading Tinder. Like, <laughs> That's Tinder great. is a product that convinces you if you have it you will finally meet that person and be satisfied falling in love is a is being pulled into something that is going to betray you hurt you disappoint you uh expose all of your weaknesses expose all of your mistakes and yet it's worth it Mm -hmm. but a product that says you're going to meet the person of your dreams is just trying to convince you to buy something and oh yeah addition I've never used Tinder, but I get the, I've been married for 14 years, years, (laughs) but I get the sense of how it works. Sure. Um, Which is not to say if someone's like, oh my gosh, right, that'll eat Tinder. No, but it's saying uh, when you date, try to fall in love. Don't try to find someone to fulfill you because you want. Stanley Hauerwas, the ethicist and theologian says, you always marry the wrong person. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so you don't even know what love is until you look at it in hindsight. And that's, that's, you know, that's church to me and that's relationships, that's vulnerability. Um, So if we're going to be the church, if we're going to love God, it has to be more like a kiss. It has to be more like falling in love. Um, It has to be more like, you know, uh, being wed into covenant and and building a life together and a lot less like, is this the the Jesus that's going to make me happy? Or is Mm -hmm. this the church that's going to finally check enough of my boxes that I can feel satisfied? Because Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, you're never going to be happy. And you're never gonna be satisfied, <laughs> and the sooner you can, you know, push that myth out of your head, the better.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. That
1: <laughs> said, like a grumpy man. No, it's so
0: it's so true <laughs> though. You can have joy. You're just
1: never gonna have happiness always.
0: Right, which I think is so true, and like the the BS detector thing in the the advertising is is a huge turnoff for me, and that was actually one of the major issues I had with the first church that I was at. Everything was a freaking sales pitch, dude. Like literally everything. Um, We sent an insane amount of emails to people every day. Mass media, like um, what's it called? When you send a bunch of crap in the mail all the time. And it was all just like, you have to be here next Sunday because we are going to solve this problem for you in your life. They would come in here like, here's the three steps to whatever. And it was always – bullshit like (laughs) right it was never helpful it was surface level recycled sermons that they preached last year with a different name and it was so hard man it
1: rachel hollis the 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 girl wash your face blogger not to pick on her um she's, she's just a human being but you know a lot of people are talking about this because she had this marriage marriage reflections and you know my marriage is amazing and everything's hustle and if you work hard enough you'll be happy and then like a month later, she's like, also my husband and I are separating. And you're like, oh, it was all BS. And yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make you a bad person, but uh-huh. it does reveal that you're a broken person. Yeah. Which kind of was yeah. your whole brand is that you're not broken. Right. And, and the church does the same thing. And gosh, I would love to just sit down and occasionally I've gotten to sit down with, with pastors and, and staff and leaders of these big churches and say, like, who hurt you? Like who hurt you what are you running from why are you so afraid of your humanity why are you so afraid of you know your own shadow Mm uh Mm -hmm. that every week you're solving the problems but yet there's always a new problem to solve it's almost like you never solved the problem in the first place right right and and you know to just say do you think that jesus came to solve your problems yeah no like you know, I I have empathy probably because I never worked in a church like that. I'd probably just be pissy if I worked in a church like that. So yeah, I definitely it's a full, full <laughs> grace to anyone who's angry still. Um, but as someone who hasn't had that particular wound, I just want to ask them like, why why do you do it like this? And mm-hmm. and maybe Jesus is okay with you while you're still in a messy spot and while yep, things are still sure. kind of falling apart. And maybe He came to offer solidarity. And and healing, you know, in the mess, not mm-hmm. to help you tidy it up quick. Yeah, but yeah, sure. that has in America, especially, it does seem like that has just grabbed the theological imagination of a whole, you know, whole uh, stream of the church, and said, you know, the church is here to solve your problems. That does right. seem very much to be the the
0: the way that it operates. Yeah, it's crazy, and it it leaves no room for the authenticity and vulnerability. Like, like we. I don't want to keep harping and, and talking crap about this this past place, but the oh,
1: process process the
0: founding <laughs> the founding pastor um, was going through an insanely difficult time in their life. They got cancer and mm-hmm. it was bad, and they went through a really long process. And luckily, they came. They're they're good. They're good to go. Like no more cancer. And they they would not freaking talk about it they would not share with the congregation this is my story and everyone was like there's this giant elephant in the room but you're too mm-hmm. worried to preach this like polished nothing bad ever happens you know whatever kind of message and like it's not real it's 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 people get it to go to your point it's like that bs yeah. detector
1: and so for you what what did that surface that that made it incongruable with, with who
0: you are or with your vision of what you, what you believe the church should be? Uh, maybe my problem is that I'm too, <laughs> I'm too open uh, about myself. Um, you know, I'm uh, one thing that, and I, not to pat myself on the back, but one thing that people constantly tell me mm-hmm. um, is like, oh, I appreciate your vulnerability. And I'm like, I, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday, actually. Um, I was like, I don't understand why that is such a big deal to people like i'm just te- like this is just my story this is who i am this is what i think this is how i struggle with stuff why do we have a culture that hides from that like i yeah. don't i don't get it and so like for me it's just it's just who i am and so to cover those things up and pretend they don't exist like just bun- you know bumps heads the whole time
1: and one of the i think one of the hard things is that for some temperaments vulnerability does come quite easy or at least um, some some vulnerability like I'm really good at curated vulnerability <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I have a much harder time with with true vulnerability um, which is why my book people are like it's so vulnerable I was like well it was but also I, I wrote it down so it's curated you know right, like right, it's, right. Um, which is fine because it, it was it is things that I was that was once very painful and now are easier to be vulnerable about mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. for some temperaments like not even getting into wounding or history just some people are biologically wired to be afraid of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, And that's why those kinds of churches can offer such a safe space because it says, Oh, I'm not, I'm not wrong. No one here is vulnerable, but they're all right. They've got the (laughs) truth. And so I don't need to die to myself and face that horrible shadow. You know, I I can just kind of have this, this happy, clappy face and and be okay with it. Um, And I never want to punish people or, or, attack them for being who they kind of biologically were wired to
0: be. Right, right. Um,
1: For those people, vulnerability comes very difficult. And I want to have grace for that while still pointing them to say, hey, being honest, being confessing, uh, this is something Jesus calls us to. And so, you know, it may come easier for me and more difficult for you, but that doesn't let you off the hook on this one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do we meet the people in those churches are just people doing their best to survive. And they right. feel like if the church shrinks, they're not going to survive. <laughs> and they feel like if they don't go to the church that's going to give them the answers, they're not going to survive. And so there's a very like, almost like primal need for that safety and security that those mm-hmm. churches often pandered to. Um, and, and it's the system that is so sick. Rarely is it all the individuals being morally corrupt. It's that everyone kind of found something that tells them they're okay and helps them survive. And so they're going to protect it at all costs. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that, we have to tell people that's the kind of church they should participate in, you know, typically away from that. Um, And it also means that when we enter into spaces with those churches in conversation or, or in, you know, kind of sharing overlaps that we, at the very least, we bear witness to the thing that God has given us to bear witness to, which is trying to be kind of open books, trying to be the one person in a conversation of a bunch of Christians. Who's not afraid to say, Oh yeah, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Or here's where, you know, my life's a bit of a mess. Or here's the last thing I had to confess that I had to be forgiven of. Um, and just bearing witness to that, I think, is part of our job mm-hmm. as as Christians who would be given this gift. And also listening to those churches to say, do you maybe have some gift to teach us? Mm. Um, especially when it seems almost impossible that they'd have anything to offer because it just seems so, you know, counter everything we love. But the Spirit has got to be there somewhere doing something. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to stay in those churches. It doesn't mean that we have to work in those churches but it does mean that we have to listen to what is God doing there and kind of, I suspect when we grab onto the little nugget of truth that that community has stumbled into, that the Spirit's given them, that's the key to unlocking all the fullness of what that church could be, even right. if it looks radically different than what it is.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's
1: mm-hmm. annoying work and <laughs> and frustrating work. Um, and I have no no prescriptions on what that looks like. But I, I think that that's probably, my guess would be as you process your own frustration in this, that... There's going to come a point where you go okay I've, I've worked through the the pain and i've worked through the betrayal and i've worked through the frustration and i'm able to now name my critiques and now i'm able to start looking for what did those people have that was a gift of the spirit mm-hmm. um even if i i write off 99 percent of what they what they did or how they expressed it what was that kind of sliver not to to preach at you here but i, no, I think that that's i think that is like just a a challenge that we all need to face, you know, that, that kind of reconciliation work. Yeah, no, most definitely. I feel like I'm ranting a lot. This is too early in the morning. No, this Uh, is stellar, (laughs) man. This is
0: perfect. This is stellar. I'm digging it. And um, yeah. So one, one thing that uh, you shared in your book that was particularly helpful for me personally, um, Mm. there was a chapter that you wrote, um, forgive me if I jack up the chapter name exactly, but it's something along the lines of like the day the kids never came or some, you know, yeah. yeah, The night they, the children never, the came. night, the children never came. Yeah. <laughs> and so basically the, the short of it was like, uh, once you had like this event for the children and it was amazing and then you try to do it the next year and you planned for it, you were all ready. And then nobody came. Yeah. And, nobody. Uh, Not right. even the
1: kids from our own church. Showed right.
0: Up. Right. And so, <laughs> uh, it, Basically that story resonated with me because in my first job in ministry, my or my first church job, um, I was always told that the reason that we work so hard and you know, all this kind of stuff is because God is only gonna bless what we put effort into. So if you don't put effort into it, then God is not gonna bless it. And so yes, anytime yes. Just you look like
1: in the Bible when <laughs> all those people put all their effort in and then God blessed them.
0: Right, exactly. And then Then what that created, though, was um, I would be responsible for holding an event, the event, you know, I pour my heart into this thing, try to make it happen, do all the best work I can, and then it flops, and guess who gets in trouble for it flopping? I did. And because obviously I did something wrong that God wasn't willing to bless us, they would say, God knew that if he sent you people, he couldn't trust you with them because you weren't prepared for them
1: oh Dude. my gosh and so again okay, take it back there's nothing redemptive in this church don't look for anything <laughs> i'm joking that's, but
0: that's but it's true man tough. like yeah that's ouch but, and here's the problem i freaking believed them like oh, and that's I believe, where it gets I've, even worse i bought it into works its the lie to you
1: yeah. yeah
0: and so i've i mean obviously i know that's bs now and I, i've moved on from that but it was it was so difficult and so you talked about in that chapter um just this idea of bringing what we have just yeah. bring what you have and bringing what you have is enough and that was extremely helpful and healing for me so I just wanted to share with you um, that particular chapter um was, was really special for me personally
1: oh man that's very encouraging I hope that I hope it helps you uh, continue to process through that there, there's a I always am struck when translations in the New Testament just translate you know demons can be translated also unclean spirits. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they're unclean spirits is the way that it's named. And I like that translation a lot because you know, demons in my mind are these kind of <laughs> little monsters <laughs> flying around and um kind of cartoonish. But unclean spirits, like I know, I know what that's like. You know, that that when a when something gets in you and then it's maybe it's not possessing you, but you've got an unclean spirit in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a, you know, a story I told in the book about about failing church plant boot camp when i was and and something that they said to to us in that and people can read the chapter if they want to kind of hear that whole story but these people essentially said god has not called you to church plant and to do so would put yourself your soul and the soul of the community in jeopardy was mm-hmm. what they said and i didn't believe them and i still don't believe them and i wrote about it in the book but when something goes wrong in my head, I still get a little voice, even seven, six, seven years later that says, it's cause you were never meant to church plant.
0: Mm. Yeah. Right.
1: I've got this little voice and it's like, well, what is that? And it feels like an unclean spirit. Yeah. There's a little unclean spirit in me that, that keeps saying, Hey, you were never, it's an accuser. So, you know, it's from the devil. Right. Right. Um, cause it, cause it accuses and it, and it ended uh, attacks, it's adversarial, and it says, you were never meant to do this. And it's like, well, when would it ever be enough? You know, when would there be enough success to get away from that little unclean spirit that says you were never meant to do this? I suspect hmm. this is why people mail everybody in the neighborhood and say, three steps are a better marriage. <laughs> it's because in them is this, there's this unclean spirit that says, if it's not growing, then maybe, maybe God's not in it. Right, exactly. Um, and so confronting that unclean spirit and continually trying to cast it out, through prayer, through fasting, through asking others to pray, through, through asking Christ to enter in, um, has been a long process of trying to get this unclean spirit out of me so that I no longer function with this fear in the back of my head that if ever the church dies or if ever there's a painful situation or if ever anyone's hurt, does not mean that we were not called to do this. Right. Um, and I suspect then there's something similar that, that you're going to have to go through in this as well which is in my heart, even though my head doesn't believe it, in my heart and in my body, there's still this unclean spirit that says, you know, that God's not going to trust you with something (laughs) unless you earn it. Right. And I think this is one of those things all the way back to the the wounds that people carry about church. When you talk about, you know, people, um, the negative stuff that church can do is that at its worst, the church can, can create space for unclean spirits to possess us. I don't know if I'm over-psychologizing the text. I suspect I'm doing a little bit of that.
0: No, it's important. But it, I though, know it's
1: pragmatically useful.
0: Yeah, it'll resonate with our listeners too, for sure. Well,
1: at the very least, it's pragmatically true that this is how ideas operate. Um, yeah. And I see in Jesus the casting out of these unclean spirits. And sometimes I just wish we could name our unclean spirits more in church and invite mm-hmm. others in the mm-hmm. church to lay hands on us and in Jesus' name, cast them out. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's the kind of thing that a church community that's relationally based can do. But, you know, it takes a fair amount of vulnerability even to say what you just said, which is, and I believed them. (laughs) Right. You know, um, but but sharing even in that chapter, me being a little vulnerable makes space for you to be vulnerable, which is going to make space for one of your listeners to go to one of their friends. Maybe it's the person listening to this right now. Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) Whoever you are you've got a thing in your head. You're like, I need to go confess that to somebody and be vulnerable about that with somebody. Cause I heard what Josh was just saying. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's how we, that's the mustard seed, right?
0: That's yeah. the, that's yeah. the
1: yeast and dough. That's the thing that that the megachurch structure doesn't understand. Um, it, it can operate in this way, but that the spirit of the megachurch structure doesn't understand Right. the spirit of the megachurch, the spirit of consumerism is, Here's something great. Everyone come around. But the spirit of the kingdom of God is a little bit of yeast working through a little bit of dough. It moves at the speed of relationships. It moves by one person confessing to another, to another, forgiving another, forgiving another. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that is just a subversive, underground, slow coming kingdom. But that is what I think most of us are choosing to give our loyalty and our trust to.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's so good, man. And I, I actually, I really like that language, um, how you describe that. You know, casting out of the unclean spirits, and I like the psychological aspect to it because I think it's so true. <laughs> break, breaking down the the lies that um, we've told ourselves or have been told um, and believed and internalized, and totally. uh, I, I just think that it works. And that's something actually that I do. So I I uh, go to therapy. Um, oops, and nice. uh, that's one thing that for sure we we've talked about frequently, and that I'm working to. Um, you know to get over and to get through and actually even in the sermon i preached yesterday um a lot of that was part of my message um yeah so yeah. it was, was kind of cool um well and at best what that does is it just
1: cracks open a space for confession you right. know that that um natty bulls weber who yeah. uh, is a theologian who I've, I've appreciated a lot of her work um she has this line i won't i won't say it because i don't know what explicit content you guys have on go it, for it. Now, but she, go for it you're fine Oh, are you okay to swear on this?
0: Yeah, we can we can say naughty words. It's okay. Okay, this is a big <laughs> one,
1: everybody. Calm. Well, I just I wrote a book with a Christian publisher, and they they made me take out my one F word. I wanted oh, one I like a like a, like a PG thirteen movie. I know exactly um, I where was like, it was too. I yeah, wanted it I to
0: be said so bad. <laughs> it, would, it would have been a good spot.
1: It would have been a good. It Would have line. been
0: perfect. It was perfect.
1: Yeah, but Nettie bowles Weber has this line where she says, you know, that her preaching is confessional. It's essentially just saying, "Fuck it, I'll go first." Yeah. And throwing yourself under the, the confession train first and saying, yeah. okay, okay, here's my shit. Yeah. Uh, and now that I've named that, maybe you can be honest about your shit too. Yeah. And I think that's, that's sacred, holy work for all of us in small groups, um, in church settings. You know, you got to be careful. Don't confess stuff that's going to make everyone uncomfortable. Right. You know, um, <laughs> do it in appropriate ways in appropriate sized groups. Right. But, but that kind of bold confession. Gosh, that's just the good shit. That's just that like, mwah, that's the that's the aged aged whiskey of of church life is that yeah, for sure. ancient goodness that here's confession, here's vulnerability, the best.
0: Yeah, dude, that's awesome. I love that line. I hadn't heard that from her. That's great. I, I dig it. But yeah, there's listeners, there's a if you pick up Kevin's book, which you definitely should, there you'll know oh, you exactly definitely should. you'll know the part exactly. And I wanted it to be used so bad. <laughs> like, yeah, I was all about it.
1: But now that- In my, in my publisher's defense, um, what they said, what my editor said, which I think is fair. And she's like, listen, this is your first book. You're, you don't know yet who the audience will be. Cause I don't right. know who's buying it. I know that people are reading it, which is awesome. But they said, let your ideas be what sets somebody off. Let the idea be what makes someone uncomfortable. Um, don't in at this stage of writing, don't don't let the actual like surface level words be what causes distress. Yeah, and I think that they were right about that. Even though sometimes I like to, you know, a, a good punchline, I'll do just about anything for. So yeah, it's hard to give it up. But I think I think that they were right in in defense of my publisher. Who yeah,
0: I, no, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's completely fair. Um, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Well, hmm. <clears throat> So what for people who have walked away from the church because they've mm-hmm. been hurt. And right now, cause in, in your book, you do talk about that there sometimes we do just need to take a season where we walk away just because it's <coughs> the healthy thing to do. But for those people, which I can tell you is a good bit of our listeners for those people, what advice uh, do you have for them? For, for the people who have walked away from the church like is community important does you know hanging out at the bar on sunday nights with your friends does that count for something you know that counts that counts twice nice (laughs)
1: after two times you're just drinking with your friends okay it's church the first two times because you're it's so scandalous i'm I'm kind of joking (laughs) yeah i'm kind of joking but i um I mean I'll say first off I don't like giving as much as I have a lot of snotty opinions about everything I don't like giving advice over the internet because sure, that's I, fair. I believe so strongly in um incarnation yeah that's So good. the number one bit of advice I would give anyone who's walked away from the church if they are someone who would still want to be a follower of Jesus or even someone who would want to want to be a follower of Jesus <laughs> Right? Maybe you don't know if you want to, but you know that you want to want that. Then get together with at least one other person who wants to want to be a disciple.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: maybe ideally two or three people. Boy, if, if you can get together then with one, one other person, maybe who is a follower of Jesus, maybe still involved in church, but is a non-anxious presence. Someone who can just sit with you and listen. Maybe somebody a life stage ahead. And you can surface the issues and work through it with those people in flesh and blood that's that's going to be the number one thing Mm -hmm. um i don't believe the spirit regularly speaks through isolation Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. at least at least through isolation that is not balanced out by community
0: right so i I I do believe in
1: isolation i really i really believe in in being alone with god um but just being alone with god is not going to uh most likely, bring you the the reconciliation you need in your in your insides.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I'd say that balance between <clears throat> isolation and, and community is a big thing. Uh, I would also encourage people to name when they're going to revisit the conversation, even to themselves. Mm, okay. <clears throat> to say I'm going to put on my calendar in six months that I'm going to intentionally revisit it, or I'm going to read this book and after this book I'm going to revisit it, and I aim to be done this book in a month. Markers that help you keep time, because walking away from the church for a season, I think is a maybe a necessary thing for some people, but it's very easy to miss that you are now joining into other religious uh, systems, structures, uh, rhythms
0: mm-hmm. that
1: just don't call themselves religious.
0: Right. But here's an example. <laughs> right.
1: You wait. You used to wake up every morning and do devotions. And then it became just so, so a product to consume. It became so ritualistic that, that it was no longer actually meaningful to you. Your heart wasn't engaged. So I'm going to take a break from morning devotions because I just need to get away from the, the law of it all, the, the sense that I'm spiritually self-improving every morning, the sense that if I don't do it, God's going to be mad at me. Good impulse. I actually think that can be fine. Um, so maybe you switch up your morning practice or, or more likely you kind of drop it all together. And that's really good. The first week you're like, wow, I feel so free. And you go make a coffee and you, you maybe read a book, you go on your phone and you're like, wow, this is amazing, I'm so free. But then three weeks later, every morning you wake up and the first thing you do is you roll over in bed and open up your phone and go to Instagram or TikTok. And then you spend <laughs> 20 minutes of, of good quiet time scrolling through your phone, comparing your life to everyone else around you, uh, reading your personal experience through the lens of every other person, becoming jealous of everyone, realizing that your life doesn't measure up, that maybe you're a little out of shape, that maybe your face is a little pimply. Then you start getting ads saying, hey, well, your face would be less pimply if you bought these these products. And then the products begin to further and further hone in on exactly what you like. And it starts saying, hey, you'd like these other people. And they start posting little quotes and the quotes are all about what you should do and you should be more just and also you should be more quiet and also you should be a better person. You should learn more and educate more and get more woke and get more politically involved. And, You know, before you know it, you spend every morning doing devotions. (laughs) Right. You're devoting yourself to a life of comparison to others and being told by others what you should be doing. Um, And like all idols, there's a good side to it. I like social media. Certainly learning, growing, becoming politically engaged in healthy ways, all good things. Right. But they're all religious things. Straight up. Like, I believe, I don't remember who this was. I think it might have been John Mark Comer who said this. Um, or on, it might have been on their little, on his podcast with uh, other guy Mark Sayers, um, but they said, "I like this line a lot." There's never been a discipleship tool as powerful as social media mm. in all of human history, mm-hmm. not even close. So that's one example of what can happen when people say, "I'm going to take a step, a season away from church." Mm-hmm. Is that at first they've got intentions to go hiking every Sunday morning and meet God in nature but after a couple of weeks they sleep in and watch Netflix or their kids monopolize their time and they're just stressed and tired. Um, So you've got to put markers down to realize when am I taking a healthy break to let my soul kind of lay fallow for a season so I can re-engage. And when have I given myself over to other rituals and other religious impulses that just go by secular names, (laughs) even going to the bar, I like the bar. I've got a local pub near my house, The Brain. When it's open, I'm there somewhat often. I love going out with friends. I love late nights. Um, It's just all holy time to me. But you're foolish if you don't think that there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with going to the bar regularly and buying $12 (laughs) cocktails and hanging out with other people who buy $12 cocktails, most of whom are young and... uh, somewhat educated like you and make a certain amount of money because otherwise they can't go to the bar every night. You know, spending 60 bucks on drinks and snacks is an incredibly privileged thing to do. Sure. And so don't for a second think it's not religious <laughs> or that it's not tribal. It is. So Jesus ate and drank with many suspicious people, but it wasn't his sole identity marker. It right. was one part of a well-rounded life in God's kingdom. Um, so, you know, all of these different things, activism, uh, being alone, all of these things are good things, going to the bar, good things that can become idols very quickly or become religious very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that are all tied to powers and principalities that we often don't name because we're so used to naming all the corruption in the church that we've never actually stopped to look around and realize that, Hey, everything sucks. (laughs) Everything is corrupt. (laughs) Everything is giving itself over to powers and principalities beyond itself. And so, you know, this is, I think, quite an Anabaptist lens, back to your comments about being Anabaptist. Hooray! Um, There is nothing that is not charged with spiritual warfare at some level or another. And so it's really important that we know that so that our season walking away from the church doesn't become us just getting converted to hockey and not noticing that we got converted to another religion.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah no man there's snarky opinion (laughs) yeah no that's so good that's so good dude like like really good because oftentimes too i find like uh in in our like super kind of like more postmodern ways of thinking where like everything just becomes true and all this kind of stuff yeah like That might sound nice at first, but like psychologically speaking, your psyche can't handle that. It doesn't work. And if everything is true, then nothing is true. And like there, you have to be able to ground yourself somewhere and you're going to ground yourself, even if you don't think that's what you're doing to go to your point. Totally.
1: And again, it's, it's, you know, I don't, the truth is gosh, that's a big thing to try to know what is true.
0: Oh, for uh, sure. Um, and the I church's mean, I, epistemology is all sorts of out of whack these days.
1: Yeah, well, it's a little overconfident sometimes. <laughs> right. um, but I would also say a lot of my secular friends, a lot of my, my friends um, that are kind of more liberal Christian leaning, um, which is actually a lot of our community, you know, we're, we're yeah, much sure. more of a kind of, quote unquote, progressive community for good and for ill. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we're a little too confident in our unknowing. In our right. capacity to know that we don't know anything.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: I think that there's a space for a humble epistemology that says maybe we can't know everything. Maybe we can't even know, um, by, in terms of certainty, anything. But it is very good for us to live like we know things. Absolutely. <laughs> at the very least.
0: Absolutely.
1: At the very least. I mean, I'm a pragmatic Christian, at the very least. Um, so at the very least, it is good for me to be a part of the church. It is good for me to believe that the creator and sustainer of all things is a good father. Um, it is good for me to believe that the life of Jesus is the best way to live. And it is good for me to believe that that life doesn't end in death. And I have this beautiful tradition, which gosh, Protestants have just lost, um, (laughs) evangelicalism even more so that, that over thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds of years back to back to back. People have witnessed to the fact that this sort of life doesn't result in nothing, that mm-hmm. this sort of life does result in good fruit. And more than that, they continue to confess that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And do I know that as an epistemological fact? Well, I have to be honest and say, I guess I don't know that in the same way that I know concrete things around me. But do I know that to be true in the same way that I know that my marriage is a meaningful relationship? I think that I can, you know, I think that I can, that I, that I know that it is worth welcoming the refugee, even if it at the end of the day only takes from me and doesn't give back concretely to me. Do I know that this belongs to eternity in some sense? I think I can because of the witness of the church, because of the witness of history. Um, And so if I have to choose to believe something um, or if I, if I have to choose to acknowledge that I've been caught by something, you know, maybe we don't have faith as much as faith as us. This is where I'm a little reformed. Um, uh-huh. You know, maybe, maybe it's enough to say, I, I can't know with the same certainty that I know other things, but I trust it. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. continually give myself over to it. And I confess it to be true, not because I feel it or think it all the time, but because it has been confessed to be true. And I give myself over to that path and I walk that path in trust and in faith along with the saints, you know, here and gone. And and that seems to me to be a good way to live. Yeah. No, for sure. That's <laughs> that seems great. Dude. To be, that seems enough for me, you know, for yeah. little old little old simple me. I'm not the smartest guy. That's gotta be enough for me to live a meaningful life, at least pragmatically, if not more. And I yeah. do confess the more, and I think I believe and trust the more. But at the very least, pragmatically, that is useful.
0: Yeah. Oh, most definitely. And that sounds a whole lot like faith, (laughs) a word that you used, or trust. Yeah. (laughs) So that's that's great, man. Exactly, pistis. Uh, Have you, Matt Bates? Have you encountered his work with the word pistis? No. Okay. Cool. He's been on the show before, but he he wrote a book called Salvation through Allegiance Alone, and then he did a book called. What a um, good title yeah and the allegiance is what he translates pistis as it's brilliant and then he oh did, that's great he did one called gospel allegiance which was more a it's still very scholarly but it's a more lay person version of his first book and that's what we interviewed him on um nice. but you, i like you, to i like to say that
1: faith faith has a lot more grit than we think and i as a word worm this is such a dad joke but i i like to say it's our faith is pistis and vinegar like it's got that like <laughs> right piss on. and vinegar feel to it like it's it's tough, it's gritty, it's let's go. You know, it, it's something that we, we give allegiance to. That's a great description. Yeah. More than like something I believe, I think it. It's my little thought, you know, like right, it's, right. It, is, it is a loyalty.
0: Yeah, it's great. And then it, it moves it from the head to the heart because then it's not just like some set of ideological claims that you're making and have to like somehow have this mental assent to check off the boxes. Totally. Oh, thank thank God I you know believe all the right things. But it's more so just like this. It's like a disposition, like a state of being, a way to live, versus a set of ideas. So totally. I can I
1: give you Can I give you another another quadrant there? Because you said head to heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Daniel Berrigan, Are you familiar with him at all? Mm. He was a Catholic. He was Daniel the first Berrigan. Catholic to be arrested by the FBI.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: He was part of a group that went in during the Vietnam War. And they said, hey, it was priests and nuns. And they said, we're here to, they went to the draft center and said they were there on church business. So they let them in. And they walked inside and grabbed a bunch of folders of all the draft names and they dragged all these folders outside. And then they burned them with homemade napalm. Awesome.
0: (laughs) And they stood in
1: a circle and sung hymns around them as they were torched.
0: I think I heard that story before. (laughs) I just did it the other day. That's great.
1: Yeah, so Daniel Berrigan, he said, uh, this is a great line my friend Brad Watson gave me. He said, Faith is rarely where your head is at or where your heart is at. Faith is where your ass is at. Nice. <laughs> I love that line. It's rarely where your head is at or where your heart is at. It's where your ass is at. And that to me is, is also allegiance. Sometimes I'm going to think it. Sometimes I'm going to feel it. But in my marriage, in my relationship with my family, in my church, um, you know, certainly anyone who pledged allegiance to a flag which mm-hmm. I don't do, but I understand some Christians do.
0: Nope. Um, not me.
1: <laughs> but what you are doing is you're putting your ass into it. Yeah. And I that's love it. that can sustain you. A lot of people in our church are quite very honest about their head and their heart, sometimes being in conflict with their faith. But yeah. they have put their ass into it and said, I give allegiance to this vision of the world I um, dig and it. allegiance to the resurrected Lamb. So I think there's something there. Daniel Berrigan's line there really, really has sat with me no
0: yeah that's great that's super helpful i wrote that down um cool man well kevin this has been like awesome We've dude covered this, a lot of ground we have and, <laughs> and the time has flown by and i know you have other commitments so i want to be fair to that but before oh, you gosh, peace out yeah yeah before <laughs> you peace out though where can people find you
1: you can find me in real life if you live in hamilton ontario which okay. you probably don't uh so if you're if you're not then you can find me online So Kevin Makins, M-A-K-I-N-S dot com has got uh, links to all my stuff, my YouTube videos, the tour video that we did, Holy Shift. um, And then to my new book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? A Young Community's Quest to Reclaim Church for Good. And uh, you can find that also on Amazon, Indigo, Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy books probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, hope that people read it. Hope that you love it and that it makes you laugh, think, and maybe feel a couple of feels.
0: Yeah, it's great, man. And we'll be sure to, to link that in the show notes so people have a quick and ready access uh, to the book and also to your website. Good stuff, man. Sweet, dude. Well, thanks for this. This has been awesome. And uh, maybe we can chat again sometime. Absolutely.
1: forever up this way too, hit me yeah, up. Yeah,
0: sounds good. I'll have to come hang out.
1: Yeah, grace and peace,
0: everybody. Yeah, peace. And uh, for our listeners who know how we like to shut things down here, Go Caps.